From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to everyone listening in on one of our affiliate stations across North America or the live stream on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Attorney John O'Connor stays with us this hour as we continue to unpack the FBI's phony investigation of President Trump and the attempted coup against the Trump administration. And uh, John is the author of Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. And um, that word partisan, it would seem to me, maybe I'm being naive, that this should be a nonpartisan issue when you have bad cops in the FBI targeting not only citizens unlawfully, but also trying to subvert the will of the electorate. It shouldn't matter who is in the White House. I mean, this should be a nonpartisan issue. We should be disgusted and everyone should be terribly upset about this and worried. And yet it is, I guess for obvious reasons, it is a partisan issue. Maybe this wouldn't happen with a Democrat in the Oval Office. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Could this happen to target a Democrat in the White House? It would be less likely just because I think, but but they could do it. I mean, if you've got Republicans that were zealots in charge of the FBI, I suppose it could happen. They tried to do it in Watergate, and that's what Mark Felt did. Mark Felt went to the garage with Woodward, not because he liked Woodward, but he wanted to make sure the FBI was free to do its job. He didn't want to get with Nixon. He actually kind of liked Nixon, but he tried to do his job. The problem today is everything is politicized. Everything's pardoned. And there are far more Democrats in the civil service than there are Republicans and conservatives. They don't do that. Democrats do. So it's going to be highly unlikely that you're going to ever get any kind of a conservative or Republican coup. And I think the philosophy on that side would prevent it. There are more people on the left that believe in what I will call repressive tolerance or cancel culture or whatever, that the means are justified by the end. So you'll find that. And in this case, what is scary about it, Richard, is that when there was a hack on the DNC in April of 2016, all three branches that we're talking about today, the FBI, Hillary, and the Russians, all acted in unison. And you can look at all the different things that happened. They were all together in this. This was not Russia kind of coming in unbeknownst and uh, you know, doing something that Comey didn't know about. No, Comey uh, was working with Hillary and knew that this was all Russian falsehood that they were getting uh, for good reason. Now, they didn't, nobody talked to Vladimir Putin, but they knew who Steele's guys were, and they worked with him. And actually, the FBI worked with Steele. They paid Steele. They, I think they worked with Sergey Million, if you can believe some of the evidence of, from George Papadopoulos. So the FBI was in there paying Russians. Uh, Hillary was paying Russians. And they knew it was, everybody knew it was false. And you can show that. Everybody knew it was false. It wasn't just maybe false, like it's unverified, like we think it's true. There's far too much here 
to show that they knew it was false. Now, the only thing I would say is that in a civil case, you need to only prove things by preponderance of the evidence. In a criminal case, you need to prove things beyond a reasonable doubt. There will be several people that will be indicted because they can be convicted beyond a reasonable doubt. Everyone else, you can say by a preponderance of evidence, were in on the conspiracy. Uh, whether you can get up to the level of reasonable doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt proof, is something that only Barr and Durham know about the details. But you just pointed something out, Richard. That uh, referral from the CIA, uh, September 7th, that talked about this uh, Russian uh, plot with Hillary, that Hillary had a Russian plot, that's something in writing that went to Comey. Comey's name is on it, and McCabe also would have gotten that. Also, Comey was briefed, and Brennan's briefing notes show it. So the thing they really wanted to avoid, something in writing, came in from good old John Brennan, who, as dumb and partisan as he is, is actually honest. i got to say that. So that's that could be the smoking gun document, then, that, that ends up with an indictment of Comey? Well, if you're going to indict Comey, that's going to be your main document. Now, Comey has testified recently, gee, he doesn't ring a bell. And he was talking about the memo <laughs> that talked about it was a criminal referral. Think about it. You're the head of the FBI. You have a headquarters investigation. There is a memo from the CIA saying your headquarters investigation is really Russian disinformation, uh, and it's a plot by Hillary. Hillary and Russian disinformation. You think that would ring a bell? <laughs> <laughs> and they want a criminal investigation. And Crumley says, gee, doesn't ring a bell. Now, when does when does when does dirty politics, uh, uh, dirty political tricks by Hillary Clinton cross over into subversion or, I don't know, criminality? Well, what I would say is I'll use my lawyer talk and say by a preponderance of the evidence, not necessarily criminal, by a preponderance of the evidence, Hillary was guilty of subverting our system. She knew all this stuff was phony. Now, she's too far away. We don't know what she said or what was briefed, and she talked to her lawyer, so I'm not saying we could prove it in court. But more likely than not, she knew exactly what was going on. But certainly when you get to Comey and McCabe, at least more likely than not as to those two guys. I'm thinking McCabe maybe a little bit more than more likely. And then you get to the guys, the poor guys below them, that they had handpicked that had to carry out the dirty work. Four guys carrying out the dirty work are going to get indicted. And now they, they may turn on Comey and McCabe, but, you know, you got to go up the line a little bit here. And uh, will Stroke get in? Will Stroke get it? Uh, it depends on what these two guys say that I think are going to be indicted. Who told them? was It was sort of known that you're supposed to not look, see no evil, hear no evil. Gee, I, we think this is just fine and dandy. Let's go get our warrant. So... What will happen, I don't know, but really what the public should know is whether or not everybody gets indicted. This whole thing is clearly provable as a conspiracy by the FBI. Uh, they were fooling their own Justice Department. That's the Horowitz report says there's some people in the Justice Department that actually put the FISA together, then the FBI signs off on it. The people in the Justice Department were victims of fraud like anybody else. They were actually acting in good faith. I read the Horowitz report, and the FBI just wasn't telling them everything, and they were just covering up. And it's really disgusting when you read it, disgusting. And Hillary knew about it. The Russians, of course, are laughing. Uh, and for four years, here we are right now, Richard, four years after this began, 
And it's still lively. And if you still talk to Democrats, they'll still say that Trump colluded with Russians. Really right. They were actually uh, the other night. I'm not sure if it was on CNN. They were suggesting that when President Trump was in Walter Reed Hospital recovering from COVID-19, that he was basically surrounded by Russian assets. <laughs> they just I will not it. let it go. I, love it. I no, guess they good. feel at this point they're in for a penny. They're in for a pound. Well, right. And as long as you have credulous viewers listening to things at MSNBC and CNN say, I mean, Rachel Maddow said that Putin and Trump were going to cut out the power in North Dakota. Keith Olbermann said that Trump was going to allow Russian fighters to was treasonous, was going to allow our army to be taken over by Russia. And if you're credulous, if you believe these people and you trust them, I don't blame the people that trust these guys. They think they're the good people and, you know, the terrible conservatives are out there coming up with all this stuff. And it's really terrible because that's the kind of stuff that divides us. And you wonder where the division comes from. We talked about Carter Page earlier. I want to talk about someone else who was caught up in this web, and that was George Papadopoulos, who was another foreign policy advisor. Talk to me about, for those not aware of Papadopoulos, who was he and how was he involved in this? Yeah, he's like Carter Page's little brother because he had a smattering of knowledge about oil and gas and wanted to develop it around Russia. Trump named him. He's a 27-year-old kid from Chicago, nice guy, bright young man, looking to do oil deals like Carter Page. Trump named Carter Page and George Papadopoulos to the uh, campaign just to tell the Post he had two advisors. Now, what that did unwittingly was right then, uh, Comey was looking for uh, a way to surveil people in Europe because they had no warrant yet. And Lisa Page writes Peter Stroke in December 2015 about how to get what they call an Oconus lure outside continental United States. They're hoping to get somebody from Trump's campaign over into the uh, in Europe. Now, it just so happens so that they can then wiretap, because it's okay to wiretap without a warrant in Europe. Now, uh, it turns out Papadopoulos is living in London when he's named foreign policy advisor. He's a 27-year-old kid. Trump has no intention of ever listening to a thing he says. He's a nice guy. And so what happens is immediately the poor guy gets besieged by all these FBI sneaky undercover people that are there trying to plant things in Papadopoulos' mind and so forth and make him the fall guy. So here's this 27-year-old guy. He's in London, and that's when the FBI sends in this guy, Joseph Mifsud, the Maltese professor who comes in and says he's with Putin's niece, uh, and Putin's niece uh, actually is one of his students, and Misfoot is actually a Western intelligence guy that teaches security at a, at a conservative university in league with the U.K., but he's portrayed by Mueller to this day. If you read the Mueller report, you think he's a Russian spy. Comey's called him a Russian spy. He's not a Russian spy. Everybody knows that. He's Western intelligence. They send him into Papadopoulos to tell Papadopoulos, oh, the Russians have emails. And remember me telling you about how all at once everybody decided that this uh, FBI, the uh, Russians, and Hillary would all work together? That's when it happened. So immediately they send in Misfoot to say to Papadopoulos, hey, the Russians have emails. Then they send in an Australian guy named Alexander Downer to get that information from Papadopoulos. Oh, yeah, I heard about when you say emails. E- when you say emails, you mean Russian dirt on Hillary. 
where I've hacked emails. April 18th, the DNC was hacked. Uh, right. Hillary knew that, and she saw an opportunity to come up with this Russian explanation. She wasn't so worried about those emails as she was about the real bad emails. The DNC emails were not bad emails for her, but but they were hacked. And so she saw this as an opportunity to start her Russian collusion theory in case the really bad emails came out. There were the bad Hillary server, 33,000 Hillary server emails that were still under lock and key someplace uh, that some foreign government probably has. But well, and Mike, Mike, Michael Pompeo now says that the State Department has them, and uh, we're, we're, I guess we're going to see some of those pretty soon. Well, I hope so. I hope we do, because they're going to tell us a lot. But that's what Hillary was worried about, is my point. And when right. the DNC okay. was hacked, that was the excuse to start this whole thing going. And and they even tried a, a honeypot attempt uh, uh, against Papadopoulos with uh, a, a young woman named Azra Turk. What were they trying to do there? Well, they were just trying to get him to talk, to try to maybe have a couple drinks, and she was just a real bombshell. Uh, they sort of tried to do the same thing with Putin's niece. She was a babe of all babes. I mean, they say uh, Professor Miston says she was <laughs> the best-looking girl in his class. They used a fake name for her so that uh, Papadopoulos couldn't look her up on the Internet and figure out whether she really was Putin's niece or was a student of Misfit as she was. But so they sent in a number of women. There was another woman from Australia that also approached Papadopoulos. She was not quite as alluring, but she got him to meet with Alexander Downer so that Downer could then draw out the email uh, discussion from Papadopoulos and then tell our State Department so that we so the FBI would have an excuse to start Crossfire Hurricane. That's how it started. Miss Food to Papadopoulos, downer from Papadopoulos to the State Department. It was all a setup to get some flimsy pretext uh, that there were these Russian emails and they started Crossfire Hurricane. Then they bring in Steele to come in with all the Russian stuff, and it was all coordinated. You could not do this without complete coordination between the Russians, uh, Hillary, and the FBI. And you, and you had to do that. And they were all operating together. Misfoot came from the FBI. Downer came from the FBI, their intelligence. But then Steele's got all his Russian guys. Hillary's got people out there. Sergey Million is a uh, Russian guy, probably comes from, um, you know, from Steele and his Russians. Then a lot of these guys were hired by the FBI. The FBI hired Steele at some point, well, even, even while he's hired by Hillary. They're paying him money. Um, uh Later on, it looks like Million got paid by the FBI, even though he was suspected of being a spy, and there was a counterintelligence investigation on him. So the whole thing just doesn't make any sense. It's just a bunch of dirty people getting together to get rid of Donald Trump. And once he wins, I think they were really stunned that they didn't get something on him when they wiretapped him. I think they thought the wiretap would clearly get some kind of a crime and they don't realize that probably none of those guys operate that way. They're, you know, really just basically trying to get by seat of the pants. Right. So I've called it a coup attempt a number of times. Is that a, a fair characterization in your mind? Oh, absolutely. It was a coup of an electoral candidate. And once the electoral candidate won, it was a coup to get rid of them. It was impeachment from day one. 
there are a couple of journalism professors that have been quoted as saying to their close colleagues that we're going to Watergate him uh, once he got elected. And Comey started making book. The first meeting he had with Trump before Trump got sworn in, he immediately went back with his colleagues and put notes together, made recordings of it, and he told them he was making book on Trump. And meanwhile, he doesn't tell Trump that he's wiretapping. Trump is the, the constitutional commander-in-chief who's supposed to know about counterintelligence investigations. They don't tell him about it. His national security advisor, Michael Flynn, is supposed to get this information about counterintelligence information. He comes into office. He doesn't know about this. Um, they hide it from him, and they're hoping to catch him in a crime. It's terrible. You know, in 63, they lured Kennedy into Daly Plaza, and there was, uh, you know, gunmen all over the place, triangulation. It seems like, and I know this might rankle some listeners comparing Trump to Kennedy, but I think the situation is similar, except they're much more sophisticated now. They don't need to hire snipers. They've basically taken over various branches of the government, weaponized them, and that's how they get the job done now. Well, that's why I wrote my book, because Watergate is the first time a president has been outed by this combination of a criminal investigation that, by the way, uh, where all facts did not come out, combined with a press that was really dishonest. And that's why I wrote Postgate. Postgate is a template for the way to get rid of somebody now. And Comey knows it very well. He Watergates people. And Trump was going to be Watergated. And all he needed, remember, what, what they, did they get Nixon on? Not for the substantive crime, but for a process crime. Comey is the master of the process crime. He got Scooter Libby on a process crime back in 2004. He got Martha Stewart on a process crime. When this thing starts, he gets George Papadopoulos on a process crime. He gets Michael Flynn on a process crime. He was hoping against hope, and he knew he would get one on Trump because here's a guy that's a blustery guy. He had to go do something, and luckily Trump had about 15 people around him like guarding a man-to-man defense trying to keep him from doing something wild because Comey knew that he would get a process crime on Trump, and you can feel the disappointment as you read the Mueller report of these 20 people who are abjectly disappointed that they did not get rid of Trump by um, obstruction of justice. They just couldn't believe that they didn't do it. They almost had him. But as I tell people, if you have good lawyers and you listen to them, you almost obstruct justice every day. You just don't do it. I'll meet with people every day who will say, gee, Mr. O'Connor, should I tell him about this? I think I'll hide this document. I say, no, you don't hide the document. That'll get you in trouble. You tell him the document, you explain it. Just explain it, tell the truth. Well, did that person try to obstruct justice? No. It's a normal conversation with the lawyer. Comey was hoping to make that into obstruction of justice, and he was hoping that would happen, and he was hoping maybe sometime Trump would destroy a document or tell somebody to lie. And it never quite got there, and they're disappointed. But that's what Comey was doing. Everything is a process crime, and he scares people. I've got to take a time out here. We'll come back and continue to delve into that. We'll also take questions and comments. John O'Connor, the author of Postgate, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Let's go to the uh, YouTube live chat and a question from Cheryl. She asks, I've heard that there are many sealed indictments with regards to this Russia gate. Can Trump not unseal them or is that up to the DOJ? What's the holdup with Durham? So many balls in the air. John, are there sealed indictments and can Trump unseal them? I wish there were, but I don't think there are. I think there may be indictments that are sort of sealed in their own minds that they think they can come out with something after the election. But it's a very close call now. I think they probably felt that they shouldn't indict now. And they may not be ready to do all the indictments yet either. But I think they have a good idea, at least just to a couple subjects here that they will indict. But it hasn't happened yet. And what about Trump, his ability to order a lot of documents declassified? If he does that, does that undermine, if you make these things public and they're part of an investigation, doesn't that undermine Bill Barr at the DOJ? Well, he has actually declassified a whole bunch of documents. I think he was about a year too late. He just did it the other last week. Besides Radcliffe's one document, the very next day, Trump declassified a bunch more. The problem is it's too little too late. Trump is not going to get any bang for his buck before this election. Uh, COVID has probably helped delay this thing. Uh, but it's unfortunate that there haven't been uh, there hasn't been a conclusion to this investigation yet. Those documents will help. And by the way, they're not going to hurt Barr. Uh, and uh, the defendants would see him anyway if if they're if they're indicted and they know they're there. And the only thing you have to worry about when you declassify things is. Will a foreign country learn enough about your sources and methods so that it hurts your intelligence gathering? That's the whole idea. But most of the time, it's illusory that this stuff really is going to hurt you. You overclassify. Overclassification is done mainly by agencies who are trying to protect their hindquarters, and they don't want to be embarrassed, so they overclassify things. So the documents are unclassified. We'll learn about them, and we'll find out all these dirty things after the election. And I hope that we don't see that, that uh, you know, Trump got railed, railroaded out of office because I think the coup, if I had to predict, if I have to put my money on, I think the coup is going to work. Meaning you think that the Democrats will win the, the election? I'm afraid so. And I think it's going to be in part a couple points that uh, he got dirtied up by Russian. And then secondly, there's no indictments before the the election, which should have happened, and, and COVID might have stopped that. So I think those things, unfortunately, may have cost Trump the election, among other things. He had a terrible debate, so forth and so on. But if he loses, this may mean that it's a successful coup attempt. I hate to say it. D. Silver in the YouTube live chat asks, Will Hillary and Obama ever be indicted? Well, I guess that would depend on the outcome of the election. Let's assume Trump wins and uh, mm-hmm. the DOJ investigation continues and Durham is allowed to do his work. Uh, will Hillary and Obama ever be indicted or who else might be indicted? Well, Obama's not going to get indicted because most of what he did and saw were within his purview as commander in chief, national security So as long as he doesn't tell anybody to cheat or lie, he's okay. He knew that Comey probably was going to do some bad things, but Susan Rice probably saved him with that memo she wrote. I think he's not going to get indicted, and I don't think they're going to go back and redo Hillary's case. There was some talk that they had reopened parts of it, but I don't think that they're going to do anything to Hillary either. I think probably the 
FISA thing is going to be the big deal. If nothing else, it will certainly, I suppose, taint his legacy uh, for those that care to read history. Continuing along in this timeline, when Trump finally fires Comey, I mean, that was supposedly at the recommendation of Rod Rosenstein. Was Rosenstein setting Trump up for obstruction, possibly? No, but I'll tell you what. Uh, Rosenstein just didn't know whether to spit or go blind when that happened. He had issued a memo justifying the uh, dismissal of Comey, but in Trump's inimitable fashion, he said, oh, no, I didn't do it because of Rosenstein's memo. I did it because I wanted to fire the SOB. And, of course, he immediately, by that loose talk and the way he fired Comey, got himself the Mueller investigation. He should have let Rosenstein's memo speak for itself, put Comey on administrative leave, dangling like anything, and then uh, bring some other people in to put the axe down on Comey, and, and, and Trump's hands were clean. But uh, he didn't do it. No, Rosenstein, here's the problem with Rosenstein. Rosenstein was so timid and such a shrinking violet and a little scared church mouse that he was intimidated terribly by Comey and McCabe, even after Comey was fired. Those guys got him in a room and were just merciless to the guy, and he's not that kind of guy. He's a real weak person. And he authored, he allowed the Mueller investigation to go forward, even though there was no statutory basis to appoint a special counsel. I'm going to say that again. There was no statutory basis to appoint a special counsel because the statute under which he appointed Mueller, you have to have an ongoing criminal investigation. There was no ongoing criminal investigation at the time. There was only a counterintelligence investigation. And so uh, that's, uh, so it was technically illegal. Now, eventually, they started an investigation as to whether Trump's firing of Comey was criminal. But if that was the basis for appointing a special counsel. You only can do it for a criminal case. If that's the basis, then Rosenstein's a witness, McCabe's a witness, Mueller's a witness, and then they're all conflicted out. So what they did is they started an investigation without any basis, uh, statutory basis. Then they opened up the criminal thing on Comey and so forth. But it's uh, uh, that that whole thing was, was a mess. And Rosenstein... Is, is not the right guy. Sessions was a weak sister, too, and they uh, pummeled him into recusing himself. He never needed to recuse himself, but Comey's people talked him into it. And the That was my question, how they got him to do that. You, you're saying it was just bullying, or was there blackmail, or did they have something on Sessions? I mean, well, they say Hillary has something on everyone. Well, here's what happens. The conflicts people in the Justice Department, before they recommend to Sessions whether he's to be recused, have to ask Comey and McCabe about the investigation and whether or not what Sessions did or did not amounted to a conflict. Now, you can't recuse Sessions unless it's a criminal investigation, and it wasn't a criminal investigation. But the people from the Justice Department wouldn't know that. Comey and McCabe, because most investigations are criminal. This wasn't a criminal investigation. So they bullied him. They also bullied uh, they also got the Justice Department people to say that, oh, what Sessions did was really right in the heart of what we were doing. All Sessions did was t- have a passerby conversation with uh, 
the ambassador, Kislyak, a couple times. There was no basis for recusal, even if there were an open criminal investigation. But I think there's a combination of puffing by Comey and McCabe to the conflicts people and some exaggeration about the case and the non-disclosure to the conflicts people that this isn't even a basis for a conflict because it's not a criminal investigation. So the whole thing was a joke. It was led by Comey. Comey orchestrated the whole thing. He got rid of Flynn. He got rid of Sessions. Think about it. He did that. He trapped Flynn, sent McCabe over to trap Flynn. So he gets rid of Flynn, who's one of the guys, by the way, that can blow the whistle on the whole Russiagate thing and everything that's been done. Uh, So they get rid of Flynn, who they were terrified of. They now get rid of Sessions. Rosenstein is really a Democrat that's been hanging around that everybody can push around. So the whole thing, so essentially it was a takeover from day one of Trump's government by the other side. Now you get 20 avid Trump haters that are investigating him for the rest of his presidency. Um, now, I'm, I'm a good friend. I was a good friend of Mueller's. Uh, he's a great guy. Uh, I worked with him. But uh, as we see now, I mean, you know, he really wasn't running the investigation. He was a figurehead. And he, Bob's a great guy. He's probably, but these other guys ran the investigation. And it's terrible. They're all Trump haters. All right. We're going to step away uh, again for another break. I want to come back and talk about General Flynn and what he had on the Obama administration and why they were so terrified of him and why he had to go as part of this FBI Hillary Clinton orchestrated coup attempt. Back with more of my conversation with John O'Connor, the author of Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. More of The Conspiracy Show in a minute. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. A quick programming note. Next week on the broadcast, Allie Anderson Henson and Donna Howell encounters... Extraordinary accounts of angelic intervention and what the Bible actually says about God's messengers and counters. That's next week on The Conspiracy Show. Hope you'll be along for that. Back to the phones. Let's go to uh, Skip in Connecticut. Skip, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. You're on the line with John O'Connor. A couple of items. One was just how porous the FBI was with the press. You've got Comey saying he handed off uh, what should have been confidential privileged information to the New York Times. You've got CNN showing up at Roger Stone's house, just happened to be there. Then you've got the other thing was this guy, Seth Rich, I believe his name was, was a a delegate uh, that was uh, for uh, Sanders and might have walked out with the files that were given to WikiLeaks. Now, why didn't they investigate his... uh, cell phone or his text messages and see if that indeed was the case. And then Joseph Massoud was actually on a panel in Rahad, Saudi Arabia, with a guy that was the former Secretary of Defense as one, uh, of the United States as one of the panelists. So how could this guy have disappeared and become such a mystery if he was on a panel like that? Well, let me answer it this way, and the reason I wrote my book, Postgate, uh, and you mentioned another book there, uh, Richard did, 
The reason I wrote it was apropos of your question, which is why doesn't the press get onto this? In this Russiagate investigation, the press was actually a tool that was used by Comey to set up people. For instance, he used David Ignatius of the Post to set up Flynn, to get Flynn scared that if a true answer to a question, uh, the true answer to the question would have been required uh, a conviction, and it wasn't so. He was using the press at every step of the way, so your uh, question is very astute. Now, as to Joseph Misfood, I think he's around. Um, he's very much worried about, remember this, he holds the keys to the kingdom. I'm not so sure that uh, Trump would do anything to him, but he really holds the keys to how this whole conspiracy started, because he was sent in by the FBI slash UK intelligence, and he has a lot of tales to tell, and nobody's been able to get him under subpoena. Uh, Barr went over there and listened to Miss Hood's deposition when he went to Rome, he and uh, Durham, but they haven't got the body of uh, Miss Hood, and he probably won't show up. I've been in contact with Miss Hood's lawyers, lawyer, and so forth. I know what's going on, uh, but he's just not going to show up for a while. You're not going to see Sergey Million <laughs> until something happens dramatic. So a lot of these guys are just gone. That's a great question. Thank you. Thank you, Escape. And of course, Seth Rich was uh, supposedly murdered in a botched robbery, although his wallet, credit cards, expensive watch still on his person. Uh, we don't know, uh, as far as I'm aware to this date, what hospital he was taken to. We never received ballistic reports. All very strange. Uh, a quick rush to judgment by the mayor of Washington that it was a botched robbery even before the investigation was uh, concluded. Or in begun, actually. Um, so that's hanging out there is another uh, mystery. To your mind, does is Seth Rich an important part of this puzzle? Well, he's he's a symptom. I, I think he's uh, uh, intriguing. And what I'd like to do, I, I hunger for more information than like you just gave, Richard, and why there isn't more of an investigation in this thing. It may well be nothing. It may well be there's an explanation for why Rich went, but certainly. There have been some questions raised, and once again, because it's unfavorable to you know certain side of the political spectrum, you're not going to get anything uh, out of it. And it, you know, that's that's part of this. that's a big that's a symptom uh, for what ails us today. Uh, Cheryl in the YouTube live chat asks if Attorney General Barr is part of the deep state. No, he is a. Uh, a curative for the deep state. He's uh, the best man I've seen in this job in since I've been a kid, and I've also studied the past attorneys general. This is the real deal. He's straight as an arrow. He calls him as he sees him, and he's not part of the deep state. Unfortunately, he's trying to fight the deep state to get documents. He's been slow walked by Christopher Ray. He's been slow walked by Brennan, um, and uh, you know, it's uh, the COVID did not help. So, but Bren, uh, but uh, Barr is the real deal. That's what I would tell you. There's not going to be anybody you're going to see in that position that's better than Bill Barr. If if um, we back up a year, let's say, and you mentioned earlier that it, Trump should have declassified a lot of these uh, documents a year ago. What else should he have done? Should he have fired Ray? What what else should Trump have done in order to, I guess 
successfully defeat this coup attempt? Well, first of all, he was not experienced enough to realize that you need a guard dog as an attorney general. He can be an ethical guard dog like Bill Barr, but Jeff Sessions is not the guy. And I think it might have been Jared Kushner. I don't know who got rid of Christie, but Christie was a big guy in the transition that all of a sudden somebody put him aside. The speculation is it's Jared Kushner. But if Chris Christie had been the attorney general, history would have been changed. This And, and Christie would have been tough enough to come in and puncture this balloon right away, as Michael Flynn would have, by the way. If Michael Flynn, if they didn't get Flynn, Flynn would have gotten them. He would have not only lost a lot of high-level intelligence jobs in D.C. because he thought they were do-nothing uh, guys who retarded all intelligence in the field, but he also would have punctured the Russiagate balloon. Chris Christie would have done that, but he appointed. So Trump's big mistake was not appointing somebody other than Jeff Sessions. And then nobody paid any attention to what Sessions did for his deputy. His deputy is probably more important than the attorney general because the deputy is in charge of criminal prosecutions. So you had two weak sisters in there. One of them a Democrat, and uh, you lost your you lost your ability to control the Justice Department. And he knew going in that this Russia thing was out there. It was bedeviling him. And I just I write it up. I write it off to the fact that Trump. Is a business guy doesn't understand this stuff. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll take one final timeout. We'll take one final yeah. timeout, John. I, I do want to circle back to um, uh, Flynn. Thank you for reminding me. We uh, will uh, we'll get to that when we come back. The Conspiracy Show last call to the phone. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, John, just a few minutes here. Let's uh, let's talk about General Flynn. You mentioned they, they the uh, the coup plotters, Comey et al., had to get rid of General Flynn because of what he knew about what was going on in the Obama administration. Explain. Well, three things. And very briefly, he knew all about how terrible Obama was geopolitically, Iran and Russia. But more to the point of intelligence agencies, he also knew that this whole Russiagate thing, he could look at what was done and pop that balloon right away and know that it was a a deep state coup. He could get them before they got him and Trump. Number three, uh, Flynn had been saying to anybody who would listen that there are too many fat jobs in intelligence in Washington, D.C., and not enough actionable intelligence in the field where you don't wait nine months for an answer. So a lot of people's of cushy jobs and nice houses in Bethesda were on the line. But I think the main problem was going to be this Russia geek thing. All of these people thought that Hillary was going to get elected and, it, and no one would know they did it. Now she doesn't get elected. Trump's coming in with one guy. Trump doesn't know anything. And he's got Sessions doesn't know anything, but he's got Flynn. And Flynn, his job, as Susan Rice said on January 5th and January 20th, his job is to know about the Russian investigation. And that was the discussion. We have to tell Flynn and Trump about the Russian investigation. Well, before they decided to tell him, McCabe rushes over there with Joe Pienka, and they get him into a lie. And then Sally Yates rushes over to Trump and says, you've got to fire Flynn. And, you know, he's lied to Pence, and now the newspapers are all over it. They get their newspapers who are in their laps, 
and the newspapers start rattling on about, oh, this must be a collusion deal. Flynn did this. Flynn did that. Flynn lied. So they feel the heat, and they get rid of Flynn. I think they feel bad that they now today that they got rid of Flynn. But think about this. They got rid of their attorney general, the national security advisor. I mean, it's amazing. And then their deputy attorney general, and you get Mueller. So uh, they had to get Flynn, and they got him. So let's assume that your your scenario is correct and uh, this coup will be successful because Trump has been sufficiently tainted that he will lose the election. Although uh, the the polling aside, I mean, just looking at the sentiment, that seems to me to be almost unimaginable. I could be surprised. For example, uh, Biden and Harris had a uh, a very important campaign event in Arizona today or yesterday, I believe it was their first since the uh, convention. And uh, no one showed up. No one. However, let's assume that the polls are correct this time where they weren't in 2016. And uh, we have a Biden-Harris administration, or should I say a Harris administration. They packed the Supreme Court. They're not telling us, they're not telling anyone. They're refusing to to reveal whether they will pack the Supreme Court. But it seems likely that they would. Uh, they will end the, the filibuster. They will open up the border, uh, tear down the wall. So we're looking at essentially then a one-party system. I can't imagine Democrats or uh, Republicans ever winning the Senate, House, or White House uh, ever again. Uh, that's what we're looking at. Yeah. And we're also looking at maybe two additional states. D.C., which was never supposed to be a state, that's why it was formed, but it'll be a state with two senators. Puerto Rico will get two senators. Uh, this whole thing will be a one-party state. You already have a one-party media, and we're getting very close to a sort of a socialist, a soft socialist state. If, if Now, if it is a choice election, then you can't possibly vote for Biden or, or, or uh, Harris unless you're a far-left progressive. If it's a referendum on Trump, there are enough suburban women who just don't like all this nasty stuff, and they just think their lives will be nice and sweet and calm if Trump, orange man bad, is gone, and you don't hear all these people yammering at you on TV. If it's a referendum on Trump, he'll lose. Uh, I hate to say that because I think it's going to be disastrous. I care about Western civilization, and I see it here in the offing. I see our Enlightenment values are threatened. And they will get worse. We will get into a cancel culture, a one-note type of um, system. I spent nine years writing this book, uh, and I did it for a purpose because I see our uh, country going down the tubes with bad media, and now we're going to get a soft socialist government, and I think it's going to be terrible. The other option is that this is a base election, and uh, if you look at Trump's support among Republicans, it's remained pretty high. You look at a recent uh, Gallup poll, 56% of a uh, say respondents said they are better off now than they were four years ago. That's the highest rating a president at this stage has ever received in that Gallup poll. Um, So let's, and if it is a base election, I'm wondering whether the the uh, the Bernie bros, as they like to call themselves, have been sufficiently disillusioned with Joe Biden after that last debate when Biden was forced to admit he doesn't support the Green New Deal and um, he he doesn't support defunding the police, which I thought was a brilliant tactic by Trump. 
to get him to separate, to, to clarify his position, and and, uh, and 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 cause a rift between the radical left of the party and 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 Biden. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you're right. The only way Trump's going to win is with turnout. And then what I see is, is you've got this mail-in stuff uh, where it's not absentee ballot. It's mailed to everybody in uh, that has a uh, ever registered in the in the polls. So I, I'm worried about that. I hope you're right, Richard. And I think if it is, like they say, a choice election, uh, Trump's going to win. Uh, and hopefully the turnout will be such that uh, Trump will win. Um, and I think people have to start thinking about the alternatives. Do you really want the alternative here? Right now, everybody wants to say, I can't go to a cocktail party where people don't say, oh, gee, Trump this, Trump that, and the other. But I want to say, uh, what's your choice? You know, this is not a referendum. This is a choice. And you've got to make a choice. And you've got to be, you know, put on your big boy and big girl pants and make a choice. And I, I, I live around a lot of very nice, uh, elite people here in California, and uh, I'm in the land of Diane Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi and Gavin Newsom. They're all wonderful people, and uh, uh, but uh, I, I think that uh, we've really got to think about our society because it's very close to going down the tubes. The wonderful city of San Francisco has has sort of shown its problems. It's going to have serious problems surviving, and we really need to get back on our horse here and start living again. And I think Trump can do that. But, hey, Richard, I hope you're right. And I hope you're watching the polls better than I am. <laughs> How do we get a copy of Postgate? Well, you can go to Amazon.com, of course. And what I would urge your of yours to do is to go to PostgateBook.com, where uh, I try to show how what I wrote about po- in Postgate is applicable today. You will understand what's happening today if you read Postgate. And then everything flows from that. Everything I've said today really can be, comes out of, out of Watergate. That's how it started. That's how the press started doing this stuff combined with uh, other forces. So we got rid of Nixon and they're trying to get rid of Trump and here we are again. There's a, a picture very quickly. Uh, I think we've put it up, Ryan, if you if you could put it up on the live stream there. Uh, you posing with uh, Mark Felt, a.k.a. Um, wow. uh, Deep Throat. Uh, yes, the picture is up there now. And uh, Woodward and Bernstein. Uh, when you posed for that picture, did Woodward and Bernstein know that you would be indicting them and, and the Washington Post for their handling of, of, of Watergate? No, and as a matter of fact, they talk about it in the book. I thought that was the that meeting. I thought it was going to be the Mark died shortly after. I thought that was the end of my involvement. And I talked about a little sort of odd encounter I had with Woodward. And lo and behold, two years later, I realized the Post had defrauded me. And it's a very intriguing thing for your readers. That's all I'll say. But once they read about that meeting I had with, with the four of us, uh, and what happened after that is a mind boggler. It's a mind boggler. Once you get to that part of the book, you'll say, wow, uh, this is real stuff. I talked not only about the journalism of Watergate, but what happened, my interactions with Woodward and the Post. And they're really pretty revealing when you really want to get down to whether or not these guys are the great heroes or not. I'm, I was the greatest fan of the two of them. I'm the greatest fan in the world of them. And I lived most of my life that way. <laughs> and uh, it's terrible to see your idols fall. 
but it's the reality. I thought everything today had been an aberration from Watergate. I now realize that this terrible media was caused by Watergate and the terrible reporting and the dishonest reporting in Watergate. Uh, it, it, John, it pains me to do that. John, thank you so much for hanging out these two hours. I appreciate it. Great talking to you again. Richard, it's great talking to you. you got a great show. Thanks. Thank you postgatebook.com all right my thanks to ryan and carlos happy thanksgiving back next week with angelic encounters good night